For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. A new poll shows clear frontrunners in the upcoming primary election to replace U.S. Senator Jim Inhofe. According to the survey from Amber Integrated, Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen is leading the 13 other candidates, with former State House Speaker T.W. Shannon coming in second. Neva, with a 19-point lead over Shannon, can Mullen avoid a runoff election in August? Well, that's always the question, and that's driven by what the turnout is. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a crowded field like this, while most of the candidates are in the single digits, as everyone generally concurs, you still have uh, that last-minute movement in the last 10 or 14 days of a primary where anything can happen. I mean, uh, somebody can have a miscue, somebody can have a big uh, bump by some endorsement that was unexpected or something. Now, granted, any of those factors have to be backed up by money and being able to get that on television or radio or in print so that the voters know what's going on. I mean, you're talking about Oklahoma voters, 77 counties, a lot of uh, a lot of still undecided. And those typically, as we always say in politics, break to the winner. So momentum is the key, I think, in the final stretch here. And so, um, you know, we, we've seen really Mark Wayne Mullen uh, from uh, early March uh, lead in the polls in the 30s. I mean, that's really not changed too much. There's some speculation out there that uh, there's been um, some unpublished, unreported polls that would suggest that he might have moved into the 40s. Uh, but again, long way to get to 50% plus one. And the prospect of then an eight week runoff head to head with someone and having to spend again an enormous amount of money to uh, communicate to Republicans to be the, their nominee for the U.S. Senate is still a pretty, uh, pretty daunting challenge for any of these folks. Ryan. Well, and as Neva said, money seems to be a big part of this. Uh, I think that the, the one thing that really separates Mark Wayne Mullen, I mean, I think there's you know a few, but I, the, the one big thing is that he sunk a million of his own dollars into this race early on. And you know, he, the other thing is that he's a sitting member of Congress. He has a pretty high profile, um, and you know, he was he's in the public eye right now. T.W. Shannon, former Speaker of the House, very prominent Oklahoman. But he's just not been in the public eye the way that Mark Wayne Mullen has. And then when you throw that Mark Wayne put a million dollars of his own money in at the very beginning, uh, Mark Wayne's been out talking to folks in all 77 counties. And as Neva said, and he starts with an enormous base uh, in the second district of actual exist pre-existing constituents. So I think that that's that's a big part of it. The other part of it is that and so whenever he did that, uh, he's been on TV earlier and more often than everybody else. So that early lead that he started off with, he's only built on it. Um, and I can I can assume that he's doing everything he can to get over that 50 percent plus one mark and avoid a runoff because runoffs can be very unpredictable. Uh, even if you walk into that runoff with a pretty sizable advantage, um, if in that runoff, anything can happen and you can have some leveling influences there. Uh, people may think that there's an opportunity, especially tribal governments that look at T.W. Shannon as a much more acceptable uh, Republican nominee for U.S. Senate, they may feel like the runoff is the chance where they have an opportunity to defeat Mark Wayne. And right now, trying to help T.W. Uh, separate himself from the field right now and the primary may not be the biggest objective for the tribes. 
Um, and when you look at Mark Wayne, he's he's the prototypical uh, Republican candidate for 2022. I mean, a lot of these U.S. Senate races and gubernatorial races from the Republican standpoint are really cookie cutter races. Uh, you know, you think of the Buzz Lightyear movie that's out right now and, you know, Buzz Lightyear and, and Toy Story kind of he realizes that, oh, or Toy Story, too, excuse me, uh, realizes, uh, oh, wow, there's other Buzz Lightyear's out there, uh, you know, because they all kind of look the same. They're all saying the same things. Uh, they all have kind of the same resumes and, and pedigrees. And that's, and so, you know, Mark Wayne fits the prototype. He's got the money, he's got the lead. Does he avoid a runoff? I think it's unlikely, but who knows? And I think here, here's another uh, kind of uh, factor in this kind of total mix of candidates is mm-hmm. you have Luke Holland, who in some polls, I mean, seems to be moving right up, uh, right in competition with T.W. Shannon for this presumed second spot right now, at least based on polling that's out there. And we have to remember that he entered this race with uh, with kind of the 800-pound uh, political gorilla at his side, and that is his mentor, his boss, uh, and retiring Senator uh, James Inhofe. So um, how that plays out at the end and whether Jim Inhofe decides that he's going to weigh in in a more prominent way in a commercial or something else uh, for voters that are undecided or maybe kind of uh, ebbing and flowing between one or two candidates, that could be that could be a seismic shift here at the end and you know and i think the other thing is we've seen candidates like nathan dom have outside groups uh and senator Rand paul uh come in with more than a million dollars on the airwaves and uh, not really move the needle much beyond kind of his core uh solid uh you know base but not a base that's been able to expand or grow so um you know you never count anybody out in these things and and once you start talking about only two out of a field of 13 it's always dangerous because anything can happen and frankly uh, a lot of these folks probably don't mind them not being on the radar or having a lot of uh, conversation Mm -hmm. if they have a good ground game and have the ability to really identify their voters and turn them out and not just wait for uh, 10 o'clock on June 28th in the evening and see what the results are. So there's a, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of uh, factors in this race. So I don't think anyone should presume that we know the final outcome. If I were T.W. Shannon, I'd be trying to court Luke Holland right now, hoping that if I make it to the runoff, I can bring Luke over to my side and hopefully bring Jim Enhoff over to my side. That would make the runoff very interesting. Lawmakers returned to the state capitol on Monday for the governor's special session on Monday. By Wednesday, the House ended the special session after passing nearly $500 million in sales and income tax cuts. However, Ryan, it looks like these tax cuts won't get approval in the Senate. I don't think that they're even going to be heard in the Senate. The the Senate's position right now is that if we're going to do tax cuts at all, they better be thoughtful. We're going to think about it. They've uh, Senate President Pro Temp Greg Treat has announced that they're going to have a task force to look into tax cuts. Uh, I think that it was uh, both Senator Senators David and and uh, and Chairman of Appropriations Senator Roger Thompson who've said uh, we've got to be very careful about cutting taxes because when we cut taxes in Oklahoma, the uh, the threshold because of uh, because of a constitutional amendment, the, the threshold to raise taxes again is so high that it makes it virtually impossible. So if we cut them, we have to be prepared to be rid of those tax dollars forever in the state of Oklahoma, uh, at least from a policy standpoint, that that's how they need to be thinking about it. Um, so I don't think that what passed in the House is going gonna, is gonna to be heard in the Senate at all. The House has adjourned sine die on the governor's right. special session. So they're done. 
they've passed these, they've gone home, they're back out on the campaign trail. I, I think that the memo to the governor is, hey, we didn't want to come back in the middle of June. We've got primary elections. And, it, and if you're a Republican in Oklahoma, primary elections are how you get elected. Uh, and so you're two weeks out from a primary and you've got folks back at the Capitol right after they are there at the end of the legislative session. This seems to be uh, a continuation, though, of the rift between primarily, I think, between the governor and the legislature. But then you've also got this divide between uh, the House and the Senate now. Um, and this is this is what happens when lawmakers stay in the building too long. Uh, you know, you know, you know, everybody's everybody's ready to be out of there. I know that we say that they've got a job to do, but from from their perspective, I think that they did the job. Uh, or that they think that they did the job, whether they did or not, that's up to Oklahomans. But I feel like they think that they've done the job. And then the governor enters the, the chat like an 800 pound gorilla at the very end of the legislative session and says, well, wait, wait, wait a second, you know, uh, I'm going to veto all these things. I'm going to call you back into special session and then launches a uh, kind of a campaign against the legislature. The legislature returned the volley at the end of the regular session. Um, and now here we are again. What comes of this? Who knows? I, I think that the, the real the real thing is that Oklahomans aren't going to get their seventy five dollars and they're not going to get one hundred and twenty five dollars. And it seems doubtful that there'll be any tax relief uh, for Oklahomans or, or any sort of tax reform um, between now and, and the next legislative session, whether that's grocery tax cuts or income tax cuts. Neva. Well, and here's the deal, just like you said, Ryan, I mean, the governor called this special session. I mean, he set it up right in the middle of a primary season, right uh, two weeks before uh, folks are going to the polls, including having himself on the ballot on June 28th in a Republican primary. And you get to the building and you have the House basically come down with a uh, a smorgasbord of here are some options, here are some bills, uh, let's pick and choose, let's see where we can get a consensus, and let's move forward. And bottom line is, let's give Oklahomans some tax relief. Uh, I mean, it's the show me the money time, uh, not the policy discussion of just we're going to wait and be thoughtful and deliberative. That wasn't the thinking of the House. The House rolled out planned bills, pass them and, and move them over where they basically, as you said, were uh, dead on arrival on the Senate side. But these dueling press releases between the leadership, uh, Speaker McCall, uh, Pro Tem Treat, the governor, I mean, it serves no one well. And frankly, I think the public at large is tuned out on it. They don't care. I mean, they would like to have seen a, uh, a headline or some information out that said uh, the tax relief coming or the grocery tax uh, uh, is going away or whatever that headline would have been, but none of that's taking place. So um, again, I think that uh, it, it really points to these, this growing um, divide in the legislature, uh, even among these Republican leaders, to be able to build a consensus. And, you know, just to summarily say, I mean, as the, uh, whether it's the Senate Appropriations Chairman, who's basically saying that, uh, um, you know, we're not, we're not doing this and, and pointing down the road and saying in 12 to 18 months, uh, he absolutely believes that we're going to need every dime we can get. I mean, those long, you know, kind of long forecasts uh, for the average voter 
and the average Oklahoman struggling now uh, with this record high 40-year high inflation that we're experiencing, $5 gas, uh, groceries going up, everything uh, becoming a very different picture than we saw even six months ago. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if voters at some point, whether it's in the primary or on down the road, um, you know, give a wake-up call to some folks and uh, uh, and want them to at least be listening to their concerns and their issues, and not just talk about it from these from these uh, policy issue standpoints. I mean, the Senate wanting to study something as their reason for not doing something seems like I think in the minds of many voters, at least that I've heard, just talking after the fact is pretty lame. So we'll have to see if it uh, uh, if that sentiment changes or we all just kind of forget this a special session ever occurred and, and uh, they come back next February and just kind of, uh, you know, start from start from uh, kind of a, a new fresh approach and new faces in the building. We'll just have to see. Well, maybe you mentioned that there's uh, you know, the, the voters have checked out. We're two weeks away from uh, from a primary election or less than two weeks away from the primary election at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got this special session. Most Oklahomans and even people that are plugged in need you know, a few different roadmaps to try to understand what's going on here. And it just demonstrates the real disconnect between the work that actually happens at the Capitol uh, and the, the campaign messages of, of Biden, bathrooms and Breitbart. I mean, that's the that's all you hear about on the on the on the Republican campaign trail right now, for the most part. And here it is that you've got a real distinct difference with among Republicans as to how to pursue tax policy. Uh, and it, to me, that seems like an issue that Oklahomans really ought to have a, a conversation had with them about and about how what direction they want to move forward. But Unfortunately, these campaigns don't leave a lot of room for those kind of nuanced conversations. And these campaigns have the national backdrop. I mean, what Oklahomans are focused on is what they don't like going on primarily in Washington, D.C. They don't like the Biden policies. I mean, you look at the numbers uh, in Oklahoma. I mean, when you're in the 20 percent favorable or whatever that number is, low, low numbers. I mean, that's what people focus on. The the folks that are at the top that can make the change, make the difference, uh, be the communicator for something that they want to see happen. And so I don't think we're going to see that shift in the fall. I think we're going to continue to see a repudiation of these national democratic policies. And uh, and I think we will see, by and large, not a great deal of change really in the legislature. When you think about it, there's not that many races, even in the primary season here. So um, we're going to see a lot of lot of the same folks uh, back. And uh, what we're seeing now is just kind of this give and take exchange, like you say, Ryan, uh, where do you get and capture people's attention? The issues that they talk about on the door are the issues that they know the voters want to talk about themselves. And so whether people like that or not, I think that's the political reality. The leader of the Senate Appropriations Committee plans to author a bill to restructure oversight of the tourism department. The measure by Chairman Roger Thompson would take powers away from the director of the agency and return them to the Tourism Commission. Neva, this seems to be in response to the Swadley's barbecue scandal. So do you think it's likely to pass? Well, I don't think we know at this point. I mean, first of all, the the House investigative investigative committee still looking into all of these issues is is an ongoing effort. I mean, and I think they've got a lot of work as as I understand it ahead of them in terms of you know bringing people in, having conversations, trying to get to the bottom of the real facts and figures and information. Uh, 
on on this uh, issue with the now terminated uh, contract with Swadley's and other issues uh, that uh, that seem to be emerging out of this, as they always do. So uh, will we just kind of ricochet back to we're going to have the oversight of uh, tourism by the commission and we're going to take away the governor's ability to uh, basically uh, have his his choice as the director and have the authority placed in that executive director and really just use the tourism uh, commission as as merely an advisory group. I think uh, uh, whether it swings that far back, I think uh, think there's a lot of uh, uh, certainly a lot of give and take and a lot of political gamesmanship that will go on. And so I don't I don't think it's clear yet. We may come up with some uh, notion of how to do something even different than either one of these options uh, in an effort for the legislature to get a comfort level with what's going on in these agencies, which has always been the struggle. I mean, uh, we're talking, you know, lots, millions and millions and millions of dollars in these agencies and oversight, particularly from a legislative perspective, has always been something that they've kind of battled these agencies, uh, wanting to know more information, not less. And so um, it'll be a fascinating thing for us to watch as we get into the next session. Ryan. Well, you know, Neva, you, you mentioned that, and I, 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 I want to just kind of talk but one of the things that I've talked about, and this is just kind of a little sidebar here, I suppose, but um, legislators for, for years, I mean, for as long as I can remember, have wanted to have, you know, more involvement in these state agencies, boards, commissions, the state regents, uh, but trying to get lawmakers that are willing to devote the time uh, and, and resources to, to showing up to these agency hearings, showing up to commission meetings, you know, listening in on uh, on, on regent meetings, you know, being there in the room uh, as in an oversight capacity takes takes time and resources from from the legislative perspective. I think now with with Loft, the Legislative Office of Fiscal Transparency that was created at the same time that the legislature gave all of this brand new authority to the executive branch and the governor to make appointments and and, and the uh, the and move a lot of these agencies and boards and commissions to uh, an oversight capacity only or an advisory capacity only. I think Loft may, you know, you know, begin to shift into that and give the legislature more ability to play an oversight role. But ultimately, the oversight role is the function of the executive, uh, the executive branch. And I think that when you look at the the uh, the House investigative hearings, one of the things that's become clear is just a lack of oversight. Nobody really seemed to be watching the ball. Uh, and, you know, who ends up holding the hot potato in this? I don't know who it's going to be. But I mean, you see things like email threads that have recently come to light, um, I, I think, by the frontier that, that showed that Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell was just approving an invoice um, without having ever seen the invoice, apparently. Or at least that's what it looks like. Uh, and it looks like maybe even um, the, the former dr- executive director of the Tourism Commission, that maybe he even approved an invoice without even looking at it. Um, and these these boards and commissions, they, they played an important role even if even if they didn't have the time to you know get into the management the day-to-day operations of the agencies uh, that they are overseeing just having them there having them as a backstop and as a check on the, the power of the staff and the day-to-day operations and the directors of those agencies I think that that in and of itself promoted the type of responsibility uh, and, and conduct that we just don't have now um, so, I think that you know Chairman Thompson's uh, legislation is probably the first of many pieces of legislation that we'll see um, that's going to try to roll back uh, maybe entirely, or as Neva said, maybe try to rethink how we oversee these boards and commissions. But I think the days in which the governor has almost 
total power and authority over uh, who runs the, uh, the, the functions of state government. I think that those days are short. The Cherokee Nation is returning Oklahoma flags to tribal sites. Earlier this month, Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. ordered their removal unless state dignitaries or officials were visiting the locations. Ryan, why do you think Chief, Chief Hoskin reversed his decision? Well, Chief Hoskin was really clear as to why he reversed his decision. It was because he heard from his constituents. Uh, they told him that they didn't like his decision. They felt that um, his decision to remove the Oklahoma flag from tribal property uh, only deepened divisions between the Cherokee Nation and the state of Oklahoma. Um, I you know, can fully appreciate Chuck, uh, uh, Chief Hoskins' um, uh, sentiment here. I mean, he's you, when you're when you're thinking about them, they're a sovereign nation. I mean, they're, they're not on par with the state of Oklahoma. They are on par with the United States of America. They are a sovereign nation. And um, I think having the, the state flag there was something that uh, that any tribal government can do, just like any sovereign nation can do. But it's it's certainly you know, not required. Uh, and I think that he saw it as a, a symbol that uh, undermined the true sovereign, um, the true the true sovereignty, the true sovereign nature of the Cherokee Nation. So. Um, you know, but when he changed course here, I think that that's it's really what real leadership looks like. Uh, he didn't call the people that said you need to you know reverse course on this. He didn't call them you know stit sympathizers. He didn't say that they hated tribal sovereignty. Uh, you know, here's somebody who said, you know what, I I uh, I hear what you're saying, um, and I I disagree. But enough people have contacted me and said that this is the the will of the the people of the Cherokee Nation, the citizens of the Cherokee Nation, I'm going to I'm going to turn course. And he did it in a way that was magnanimous and I think is really what we should expect, whether we're talking about leaders in tribal government or state government or the federal government. That's the kind of leadership that we should be looking for. Neva. I agree with that. I mean, with uh, with the very point that you made, Ryan, I mean, here the chief basically said, look, I, I do agree with what I did. I believe that this is the action that that should stand. But I also believe that reasonable people can disagree. And when he heard from not only uh, members of his tribal council, but uh, a vast number of uh, Cherokee citizens themselves by his own comments, uh, he paused and, and reflected and said, uh, we will make the change. And I think uh, I think that consensus building, I think uh, when you have this principal chief uh, who is uh, representing 400,000 citizens, I mean, that he is the leader of, uh, 141,000, I think it is, that live actually within the Cherokee Nation and in, in, uh, uh, on the, within the reservation boundaries, that is, that, is a significant, uh, that is a significant number of folks that you are leading and you are responsible to uh, uh, set the tone as that leader. And I think in this instance, uh, uh, he launched into something, but uh, when, he got the, uh, when he got the backlash, to whatever extent it was a backlash, or at least the conversation of, we don't like this, we don't think this is right, we would like to see this changed, uh, he respected uh, what he had to believe was at least a, a, a wide enough and large enough voice of, uh, of Cherokee members that he, that he uh, basically recanted or, or moved back from his original uh, position and uh, I think put this to rest once and for all. The Oklahoma Ethics Commission is suing a conservative political action committee in Virginia over ads it ran in 2018. 
The agency says the conservative alliance PAC violated campaign finance laws when it targeted Republican state legislators in the 2018 election. Neva, what did the organization do wrong? Well, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to see get sorted out. I mean, first of all, it appears that the PAC uh, failed to report to the Ethics Commission. Um, and that, of course, is, a, is, is an absolute red flag. I mean, the Ethics Commission has rules. And once the rules are in place, it is incumbent upon every single individual candidate, every single PAC, every single uh, group that falls under falls under their um, jurisdiction to uh, to absolutely comply to the letter of what those rules are. And so now we see, um, uh, you know, and we're talking about 2018 elections. I mean, I think this is a process which is a very long process of going back and moving through to see were campaigns run correctly? Was the reporting done correctly? Are there questions? I mean, oftentimes uh, the Ethics Commission may get a complaint from uh, an individual or some entity saying, we have an issue. We believe this was done incorrectly. We want this investigated. We, we challenge, uh, you know, we challenge X, Y, Z. So this is a process within the framework of the Ethics Commission. And I think uh, it is going to be interesting to see what finally comes out of it. But right now, just uh, kind of the top line to it is there appear to be certainly a lot more questions than we have answers. Ryan. Well, I think that that's right. I think that there's this sense that uh, after Citizens United, that there was, you know, no, there's no campaign finance laws or regulations, uh, especially with these national groups that, that play at a national level and then insert themselves into state legislative races. That if they are um, consistent with federal law, that, you know, maybe state laws don't apply to them. Well, that's just not the case. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that came out of Citizens United and the cases that have come subsequent to that. Uh, dealing with the First Amendment and, and election laws. But one thing is just, you know, clear as day, uh, states have the authority to require even national organizations to register and report their expenditures here in the state of Oklahoma. Um, and that's for a very simple reason. Oklahomans deserve to know who's playing uh, in our political backyard uh, and how they're doing that. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, when you look at you know, these ethics uh, commission reports, these these expenditure reports, uh, it's it's not always clear. Even the folks that are you know doing everything by the law, it's not always clear who's behind these groups because you know, it's it's not that difficult to move uh, money legally, not not illegally or, or, or fraudulently, but uh, but legally uh, into entities that make it difficult to trace back who the actual funders are so that you can maybe better appreciate what their agenda may be. Uh, but even still, Oklahomans have a right to know what these what these uh, uh, PACs are and who's who's behind them. And it's interesting here in Oklahoma, this this PAC uh, apparently got engaged in Oklahoma uh, at the request of, you know, now sitting uh, Oklahoma House Judiciary Committee Chairman uh, Chris Kennedy. Uh, and he he I think he finally admitted a few years ago that that he was behind. Uh, soliciting this enormous amount of money that came into the state of Oklahoma that went after far-right members uh, of the House Republican Caucus that many felt were making the House Republican Caucus just ungovernable. Uh, their ability to conduct the business of the House was being stymied by uh, this, this group of hard, uh, hard far-right conservatives. Um, now, 
to be clear, I don't think that Chris Kennedy had anything to do. It doesn't appear, at least, that he had anything to do with these campaign violations. I mean, it's not up to him to make the reportings. It's not up to him to make the correct filings. Uh, he solicited their involvement in the state of Oklahoma, and it looks like that's all he did. And uh, but I mean, you'll see his name popping up in these stories uh, as this investigation goes forward. But just to be clear, I, I think that his role was just really bringing the money here. It's really up to that group and that, those organizations to make sure that they're complying with the laws. Well, in, in, two, in these 2018 elections, I mean, what we're really what this is focusing on, it appears, is that you had five uh, state representatives that lost in Republican primaries that year, and you had six more that lost in Republican runoffs. I mean, in, in, and so their, their contention, I think, in some of what uh, has been at least stated so far, is that, that the issue also is that you had these mislead, what they term misleading, and undisclosed communications, I mean, that were, that were flying all across the, these uh, campaigns uh, through the mail and whatever other, uh, however else they were doing it. And I think that's what some folks want to bring to bear. And we're seeing this even in this political season, where we're having enormous amounts of money uh, being, being put into uh, these primary races, targeting uh, without, um, uh, without any question, targeting a handful of House members and, and uh, uh, senators. Uh, and what the agenda is behind that, where the money is coming, uh, all of that, I think we're going to continue to have that conversation well beyond June 28th, just given what has occurred uh, so far in this political season. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. But programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.